0: Latin America's pandemic death toll has surged past 100,000, according to Johns Hopkins University. Brazil, Peru, Chile, and Mexico are the hardest hit by far. Eight hours downriver from the nearest hospital,
1: Peru's central Amazon is struggling. Meanwhile, the virus is relatively under control in places like Belize, Uruguay, and Paraguay, but there's a lot more bad news than good. Just last month, Latin America was declared an epicenter of this coronavirus pandemic and now several countries in the region are seeing record high cases and fatality rates. Brazil, they have the second highest number of total coronavirus cases after the United States. Mexico, Ecuador, Chile, they have some of the highest mortality rates in the world relative to their populations. My colleague, Dr. Elmer Huerta, an oncologist, has been covering the story for months. He's the senior medical writer for CNN Español, and he also hosts our Spanish language coronavirus podcast. So today, I sat down to talk to him about the wide ranging ways Latin American countries have handled this pandemic and why the region came to be hit so hard by COVID 19. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction. I've been looking forward to this very much, uh, speaking to Thank you. you. You've also been covering coronavirus uh in a podcast how, how how has that been for you how has, how did that come about and why was that important to you mm-hmm.
0: There is so much misinformation. There are all these conspiracy theories. So what I try to do in my podcast and my reports for CNN Español and the radio programs I have is that I I give both sides. Because as a public health practitioner, I try to, for people to understand that public health is a very, very, very broad specialty, which includes politics, a lot of politics, that includes economy, but also includes other disciplines in, in, in sciences and even the arts and humanities that have one thing in common, which is to control a disease in a population. Diseases go beyond the bones or the lungs or the brain. Diseases also go to the fabric of societies, go to the way people live, the way people behave. So my objective is go beyond just the biology of the condition and get my listeners and my viewers to the public health aspect of the condition.
1: I think that's very important and, and, and well put. You mentioned that your audience is both here in the United States and in Latin America. And as you know, Latin America has emerged as a, as a sort of coronavirus hotspot. But according to Hopkins, uh, as you know, over the, of the top 10 countries with the highest fatality rates, several of them are now in Latin America. Can you give a general overview of how this pandemic has unfolded in Latin America?
0: For Latin America, the waking up towards this pandemic has been late, even though they saw the the pandemics raging in Europe and getting into New York, the countries in Latin America, they have very diverse reactions to it. And I think that in when the history of this pandemic is written, every country will have its own book. And in every book, politics will be probably half of the chapter of that country. And politics became a very hot spot all over Latin America. Since Mr. Bolsonaro in Brazil to Mr. Vizcarra in Peru, Piñera in Chile, all these presidents, they had a different view on the pandemic. But then there is also something very important in Latin America, which this pandemics has completely unveiled the profound uh, disparities in the region. Peru is the case example of this. They started very early, very early in the lockdown and they tried to control the condition very early and everything was doing very well until the third week or so. What happened at the third week that 70% of Peruvians they have no formal jobs. They live day by day. They couldn't go beyond two weeks of lockdown. Why? Because they had no savings. They had to leave homes, homes that have no water, they have no sewage, they have no uh, refrigerators. They had to go every day to the market to buy products. And that's when the pandemic has exploded. And at this moment, Peru is number three in number of cases, and is number, number four in number of deaths in the region. So the picture in Latin, in Latin America is very diverse as their people.
1: That's really interesting. And when you look at some of these countries pre-COVID, and you try to say, okay, if a pandemic were to come in the form of a respiratory virus, could you have predicted how things would have unfolded in Brazil for example, which now has the second-highest number of COVID deaths?
0: Yes, I've been many times in Brazil, and I've been in the favelas in Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo, and by the living conditions of these people, any kind of pandemics would fire up right there.
1: But what, what, what about the political forces, though, that you alluded to? I mean, the thing that has struck me, doctor, is that nobody knew everything about this virus from the very beginning. I think we can concede that point. That that is the nature of a novel coronavirus. It is it is new, and I think how political leaders and how the problem is approached in the beginning uh, makes a big difference in terms of how this is unfolded. So, with regard to Brazil and the political forces, um, could you have predicted what is what would be happening now?
0: Yes, I think by the way Mr. Bolsonaro uh, treated this pandemic from the very beginning, making fun of it, saying that this was just a little flu, like a little cold that people would get and refusing to wear masks and uh, making fun of people who wore masks, you could have predicted that this thing was going to take in Brazil. It is only when Brazil started climbing up in the number of cases and the number of deaths that they tried to do something. They fired two ministers of health in this uh, in this, in this pandemic. That didn't happen in many other countries. So it, it was a disaster actually what happened in Brazil and everything starts from a failed leadership.
1: I mean, it's, it's tough to be critical, I think, and as physicians, I think we're always humble because, again, we, we're, we're very good at knowing what we don't know. But I have, I have really grown increasingly frustrated at this point, not because I want to throw stones at the past decisions, but because I can't believe we're still not acknowledging the problem that's going on in this country. How do you possibly solve the problem if you don't even acknowledge it in the first place?
0: And that is very true, and that's in the nature of public health, unfortunately. In the history of public health, there are so many of these events in which politicians, they did not recognize the problem and the and their populations suffered. Uh, that happened in the history of tobacco control, and that happened in the history of uh, now in the global warming. Mm. We can see that... Politicians are extremely important if they understand the issues to correct them. It is very important to uh, highlight is what's going on in Uruguay. In Uruguay, in Latin America, is the country they have not reached even 1,000 cases. That's a population of three and a half million people. And they, from the first day, from their president, they were given what they call responsible liberty. You are free, whatever you want to do, you do it. But you know what? Do it with responsibility. So people there say, the government wants to take care of me. Uh-huh. So I'm going to take care of myself because taking care of myself, I'm going to take care of other people, and I'm going to take care of the government.
1: When you think about Ur- Uruguay, and you then sort of superimpose a place like Peru then on top of it because of the deep inequities with regard to the socioeconomic status in Peru. Could what happened in Uruguay have have helped or worked in a place like Peru?
0: It's, it is difficult. Number one, there are different populations. Peru has 33 million, Uruguay 3.5 million, and a half million, and that is uh, makes a lot of difference in public health. This pandemic has really unveiled all these profound disparities in societies and this is what we're seeing even in the United States the Mm -hmm. face of the death of COVID-19 in the United States is a black face it's a brown face and that's disparities
1: so what is the path forward then if you if you acknowledge this fact that this pandemic has really unearthed some of these long-standing systemic inequalities
0: what we need to do, and some of these discussions are happening already in Peru, at least, which is my home country. Number one, recognizing that the healthcare system that we have stopped at the middle of the last century. So it was completely outdated. We need money, number one. Number two is that Peru needs a, a unified healthcare system. And number three, they need to develop their primary care system the way Costa Rica did, for example.
1: You know, I, I've, I've struggled sort of thinking about this longer term because initially the, the mantra that everyone was sort of living by was flatten the curve. And the flatten the curve was really, if you had to p- apply a medical metaphor to it, it was kind of like holding pressure on the wound to try and stop the bleeding. But that's obviously not a long-term solution. So if there's this sense of inevitability about it, it's not a question Mm -hmm. of if, it's just a question of when. How do you communicate the message in terms of what people should do then?
0: Yeah. What I tell my listeners and viewers is that this virus has come to stay with us. So we need to live with us until either three things happen. Number one, we have a vaccine that is distributed to the whole world, at least six billion people need to get the vaccine to get the protection in the world. Number two, to get a medication that is really effective. And number three, until 60 or 70 percent of the world population gets infected and we got the protection of the group. So if those things don't happen, then we need to live with this virus. I tell my listeners and viewers, the only thing you can do is to avoid infections. Try to avoid infections because by avoiding an infection, you are avoiding a future hospitalization and a future death. And that is what you can do for your country.
1: I, I just wonder, before I let you go, have, have there been any particular stories or anecdotes that have touched you or affected you through all this? I know you've primarily been in your home, so you haven't been out and about.
0: Yeah, one story really caught my heart, as they say, is in Peru. In Peru, in the height of the crisis, oxygen became a commodity, Sanjay. It was amazing, the price of oxygen just skyrocketed. And it was this one person in the port of Callao in Lima who refused to increase the price of oxygen. He said, people are dying. How can I increase the price of oxygen? And he became an instant hero in Peru, just demonstrated that one person can make a big change in society. He was the example for a lot of people, and that really uh, struck me as a wonderful piece of humanity.
1: Yeah, that gives you you goosebumps. Well, um, thank you for all you do, and uh, I hope to get to talk to you again. I am... Um, concerned as you are uh, over the next several months, how things are going to unfold. But hopefully, people will get these messages because, as scary as this virus is, it is ultimately just a small strand of genetic material that can be fairly easily contained by a mask, can't jump very far. And, um, you know, we could really get ahead of this through some basic public health measures.
0: Exactly. And our job is just to talk and talk and remind and remind and remind and repeat the signs of it, the basic facts of it. And my hope is the more people listen, the more people are going to really uh, understand that they can do something to stop this pandemic.
1: Look, we can all learn a lot from other countries' successes and their failures handling this pandemic. After it all, it's not just the United States that's going to be responsible for how quickly the world recovers. We are all in this together. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might include them in our next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.